So we're in Jonah chapter 1. You can turn in your Bibles if uh, you have it with you. It will be on the screen. I continue to encourage you to grab a Bible, bring a Bible. And if you don't have one, we have Bibles in the back. Please grab one and take it home with you. It's a gift. Read it every day. Cherish it. All right. Jonah chapter 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying... All right, I want to stop there already. See? It's a good thing I didn't have you stand. I've hardly said anything yet, and I'm already stopping. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. You know what it means for the word of the Lord to come to someone? That word, actually, what it's saying is, is like, you know, sometimes God tells us exactly in the Scripture how a prophet heard from God. It might say he had a vision or he had a dream or something like that. This just says the word of the Lord came to him. And actually, a more literal translation, which would be really awkward, is that the word of the Lord became to Jonah which wouldn't make sense to us. So they just said it came to Jonah. And what it means is that the word of the Lord existed. It was spoken, but it became a reality to him. In other words, he started to be aware of what it was that God was speaking. And this is really important. Why? Because God still speaks to us. God still speaks to us today. And our job is to actually hear him. And we don't have to think that we have to have some vision in order to hear from God. Or that there has to be some profound dream in order to hear from. That still happens. You know, there are moments when you have dreams. By the way, if you ever get a dream that you're like, whoa, what was that dream all about? Just write it down. You write down the dream. And then like two weeks later when something happens, you'll figure out what the dream is. That just happened to, just happened to Jen, uh, was that like a month ago or so? She had a dream about somebody a month or two ago and had this dream about them. We would have forgotten it. She wrote it down and we talked about it. And then like, we're like, I don't know what that's about. It was about a person in particular. Like two weeks later, something happened with this person. And because she had written it down and we had had a conversation, it came back to her mind. She's like, that's what it was. And when she, we, she had first had that dream, we prayed for the person that they'd be okay with whatever it was that was going on. And God still does that stuff. But most of the time when God communicates to us, it's much more simple. There's a constant communication process where he's filling our minds with thoughts where we're reading the word and there's communication in it, where we're emotionally feeling something, but sometimes it's just us and sometimes it's just our own thinking and sometimes it's our indigestion or whatever, you know. But there's what we have to do is we learn to discern the voice of God and learn to understand his heart and his mind. And so that whole thing about Jonah, who's a prophet of God, you know, he's speaking on behalf of God as a prophet of God. How did he hear from God? His word became to them, became to him. It came alive to him. In time, he started to hear and know the voice of God so much that he could confidently declare what it was that God wanted. He started to know what God wanted for Nineveh. And once he did, it changed things. Now, another point that's really important here is it says Jonah, the son of Amittai. I have no idea how to say that. And anybody, when you go into Greek dictionaries and they try to give you pronunciation, I mean Hebrew dictionaries, and they try to give you pronunciation, they don't know. They weren't there. They don't know how to say it. (laughs) Amitai. The reason this is important is because there's a lot of discussion about whether or not Jonah is a fictitious uh, story or whether it's rooted in history. And there's many, many people who are believers who believe this is just like a parable. You know, because there's nothing wrong with God telling a fictitious story. A lot of people ask the same question about Job. Was that a real story or a fictitious story? Um, Because Jesus tells parables all the time. But the reason that it's important that Jonah's dad's name is in here is it roots it in history. He's the son of, and that's what, whenever you would be son of, that was the whole point, is that it attaches you to another person. This is a, a physical 
event that took place historically. And that's important because there's something incredible to hear in the story itself. Just like if this was a parable, we'd have all sorts of things to learn from it. But the fact that this is also physical brings a whole nother level of implication in our life. Okay, so just remember that. We're going to keep going. That was only verse one. We got a whole chapter to get through. So I hope that you didn't have any plans for Mother's Day. Um, We'll tell them to get dinner ready here. Don't worry, we're moving. All right. First word that he senses from God, the the word of the Lord comes up to Jonah. And this is the, the call, the impression he's getting from God is, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. What does arise mean? Get up, get up. Which means that he wasn't up, right? Which means he was kind of like a kid, a high school kid in the morning when it's time for, for school, right? Arise, arise, here we go, shake them, rip the covers off, arise. See something, there's something about the call of God that calls us out that says you gotta wake up. You gotta go and do what it is that I'm calling you to do. Arise. See, there's something different between knowledge and faith. In James, it says, faith without works is dead. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. This is the call of God upon his prophet that says, you know all about me, but until you obey me and walk in my heart and walk in my mind, that faith, that's not faith. Faith without works is dead. You gotta step into it. You gotta step into it. There's knowledge, which is I know stuff about God. I, I, I know what he wants. Faith is I'm trusting him and I'm walking in it. Okay, and so he's saying, all right, let's go. You know my heart for Nineveh. Get over there. You're a prophet. You know my heart and my mind. Go do it. But Jonah rose. He did rise, but he rose to flee, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. See, here's the thing. When God does call us, once we hear God and we actually hear him, then we have a choice. We do have to rise, and it will make us do one thing or another. We'll either obey or disobey. You know, and when we obey, we're drawing close to God. And when we disobey, we're distancing ourselves from God. Okay, so it's interestingly, it doesn't say that he ran away from Nineveh. What does it say he ran away from? The presence of the Lord. Yeah, ran away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish sound familiar? Any other biblical reference you know of that? Paul of Tarshish. Saul of Tarshish turned into Paul of Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Again, it mentions that he's going away from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to get away from God at this point. It's not that he's trying to get away from Nineveh. He's trying to get away from God because the whole reason he has to go to Nineveh is because he's understanding the heart of God and he's not feeling it. So he's got to get away from God. Have you ever tried to distance yourself from God's conviction in your life? Because you're like, I don't want to hear that right now. I remember I've definitely had people say, I don't like coming to church because when I come to church, then I feel like there's stuff in my life that has to change and I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay, I get it. Well, then don't come to church. <laughs> Good call. You know what I mean? Like on one level, you know, on, on another level, don't do that. But um, it's funny because when we're running from the presence of the Lord, notice in, uh, in verse 3 there, it says he had to go, he, he had to get up. It took him actively getting away from God. You have to choose to resist God. And then he had to choose to, to go into something else. But in order to do that, what did he have to do? He had to pay a fare. And you can't get away from God without paying a fare. You can't get away from God anyway, but you can't try to get away from God without it costing you. It'll cost you to try to run away from the presence of the Lord. You've got to pay a fare. And, and Satan is all about collecting the fare. 
That's what he does. It'll cost you. It seems like it's going to be free, but it's not going to be free. All right. So then there's this great moment. Verse four, the first three words there are the best words. These are some of the best words you hear in scripture when this happens. But the Lord, but the Lord, it's always the best. I'm getting up. I'm a rebellious kid. I don't want anything to do with what it is you're saying. Get away from me, God. I don't want anything to do with you. And it says, but the Lord, but the Lord, but he's good. He doesn't run away from us the way we run away from him. was the, the song that we just sang, Never Once Did I Ever Walk Alone. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. Even when I'm Jonah running away from you, I'm not walking alone, but the Lord. But the way that the Lord does come after him is really interesting. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. I love this, a picture of Jonah running away from God across the sea on a boat. And God's like, hey, buddy, you know, just hurls a wind at him, you know. And uh, I get the picture of God in this. And maybe I'm making a little too light of it. I don't know. There is definitely a sense of righteous anger in God. But more than that, I get the sense of like a father who watch, who watches his toddler or some little kid acting like they're running away from home or something. Or that they're tough enough to stand up to dad. And there's almost like a chuckle that I hear in the passage where God's like, really, Jonah? Is this how this is going to go down? Like, you're going to run away from me to Tarshish, you know, here. And he throws the wind at him, you know, and there's almost like a, there's an irony in the story at this point. And there's a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. You can hear it creaking and rising up and smashing down on the waves and all of that. And then the mariners were afraid, of course, and each cried out to his God. So they were um, they were probably all Phoenicians, so they were probably all worshipers in the same religion. But in that religion, they were polytheists. They had many gods, the pantheon, the Greek pantheon of gods. So they would believe in all these different gods, and each one had their favorite god they cried out to. And so that's what they're doing. And it says, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, what's this about? Whenever you're facing, whenever each one of us is facing something in our lives, a storm in our life, if we have not been submitted to God, and if we haven't been walking in God's presence and we're kind of outside of that sweet spot with the Lord and then the storms come, how do we tend to handle them? We tend to handle it by trying to get smart and throwing cargo off our ship. All right, I got to simplify my life. I got to crunch my budget. I got to figure out how to handle this. I got to get an extra job. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do whatever it takes in order to figure this out. I'm going to sit down and have a meeting and figure this out. That's them throwing the cargo off the ship. The other option is that they cry out to their false gods, which is like, I need to self-medicate right now. Like, life is tough. I need to go catch a flick. Or I need to go hang out with some friends. Or I need to eat some more food. Or have another drink. Or do whatever it is that I'm trying to do in order to, like, numb the pain. This is what they're doing, crying out to false gods who can't deliver. You know, is, and they go into, or even religion. I mean, you go into kind of religious activity, hoping that somehow if I'm better behaved, then this situation will stop. You know, I got to be better about stuff and then God will take care of my stuff. You know, that type of thing. So that's kind of how they respond. Now, there was in verse four, it said, but Jonah or but the Lord. And now it says, but Jonah. So this is Jonah's response. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. <laughs> Wow. I think there's a couple different things here. First of all, you get the picture. You remember when Jesus was asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that this is because Jonah's at peace. I have a feeling because when you're a kid who's trying to run from your parents, it's pretty exhausting. It's pretty exhausting. Your life, when you run from who you are and when you run from God, it is exhausting. And the storms of life 
wear us down when we don't sense the presence of God in our life because we're trying to hold him at bay. We don't have what it takes. We don't have the energy. And you end up, boom. Remember what the first word was to, to uh, Jonah? Arise. What's he doing? Don't miss it. He's sleeping. Okay? So then the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? I think that was like, he wasn't just said, he didn't say, why are you sleeping? He actually names him. You are a sleeper. Stop it. You're a sleeper. You know, and that's the thing in our lives is sometimes we need to understand what we are right now. We're just sleepers sometimes, you know, where it's like there's a giant of spiritual potential within us, but it's sleeping, you know, and God's calling it out. And now this captain is calling him out and he's saying, arise. There it is again. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. And will God give them a thought? Well, actually, God already did give them a thought. He gave Jonah a thought. He told him to go to Nineveh. And he didn't listen to the last thought. And that's why this is all going on. So they don't actually need to hear from God. He just needs to obey God. Now, verse 7. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. This always surprises me in the scripture, how God doesn't necessarily command people to cast lots. I don't know where that became a like spiritual discernment tool. And these guys are pagans. They're not God followers. But they throw the dice or like pick a card out of the deck or who drew the short straw, and God actually chooses to speak to them through it, which is awesome because this is what it means is this. If you want to hear from God, and if you seek God, and if your heart wants to hear from him, you will hear from him. People say, I wish I could hear from God more. No. If you want to hear from God, you will hear from God. I promise you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your hearts. My sheep know my voice. That's just a fact. That's just a biblical fact. So there's never a time where we say we can't hear from God. There is a time where we say I can't hear from God right now. And the reason is because I'm not in a listening posture. You know, not because God isn't willing to speak to me or if he isn't willing to speak, he's like, you're not ready to hear what I have to say. You know what I mean? So that's the that's the whole thing. So anyway, God can use whatever, whenever to speak. It's awesome. Have you ever had God speak to you in just the most bizarre ways? I've had those moments where I'm like watching some movie that's not like a God movie or something. And whatever's going on in the plot, I'm like, oh, my word. Holy cow, God's totally communicating to me through the plot of that movie. Or I'm having a conversation with my kids and all of a sudden I'm like, oh. Man, that's God right there talking to me, and I know it. Okay, so let's keep going. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a prophet. And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, which of course, of course, they automatically know the God of Israel is Yahweh. And I fear the Lord. That's all capital L-O-R-D, which means that's Yahweh. They, they, I fear Yahweh, the personal name of God. That's the I am, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Here's the important thing. Their gods, they believed created the land. They didn't actually believe the sea was created. They believed that things were created up out of the sea. And that was kind of the leftover abyss and mess. And he's saying, I worship Yahweh, 
who created the sea and the land, which freaks them out more because the reason that they were freaked out about the sea is because it's the, the unknown, the turmoil, the like godless place. And he's saying, no, it's much worse than that. This sea's a mess, not because it's godless. It's a mess because the God who created it is the one who I'm a prophet for, who I'm running away from right now. And then you can see the response. They say, that it says, then the men were exceedingly afraid. That's, that's a lot of fear from a bunch of tough sailors at that point, you know? You know, tough sailor action, you know? These guys are exceedingly afraid. What are they afraid of? Go ahead, respond to that. Yeah, they're afraid of, they're, they're afraid of dying. They're afraid of big waves coming and consuming them. They're afraid that this God is going to get mad and wax them. They're afraid of, of the ocean. They're afraid of dying. So what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they knew this big angry God could kill them right now. Then, and they were specifically afraid of, of death in this thing. So then they said to him, what shall, we, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? They knew what they wanted. They wanted the sea to chill out so they wouldn't die. So what do we do for the sea grew more and more tempestuous? He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Now, <coughs> excuse me, there's two things here. First of all, you know Jonah didn't confess this on his own will, right? He got called out. The lots fell to him. However, now that the lots fell to him, he is in a confessional mode. And that's where it all starts. Like the beginning of the turn starts with confession. And most of the time, confession doesn't start just because we were good enough to go and confess. It's because we got called out, you know, or because we got busted or because something, some storm came up in our life and we were like, shoot, you know, and then we have to deal with it. And then there's the confession. Notice he's not throwing himself into the sea. He says, you guys can throw me into the sea. He hasn't repented that far yet, you know, (laughs) but he tells them to throw him into the sea. And uh, there's, uh, uh, it says in verse 13 here, it says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. In first service, when we read that, um, there's a guy who's sitting here, Dave, and he was like, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're sitting here digging into the oars, trying to get to dry land when uh, they're fighting against the the power of God. So therefore, they called out to the Lord, oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, oh, Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Pretty incredible. So a couple things here. Do you remember in James chapter 1? Or in James, yeah, chapter 1. Again, James is the place where it says if you ask. It, it, it tells us in James chapter 1, it says, If you ask for wisdom, God will give it generously to anyone who asks. But when you ask, you have to ask with. Anybody remember what you have to ask with? Faith. Faith. And what's that about? says, because if you don't have faith, the man without faith is like a ship tossed to and fro in the sea from the waves. And remember, what we're saying is faith without works is dead. So the whole point is, is if you know something that God is saying and you're not obeying what it is that he's saying, then you're receiving the wisdom of God, but not applying that to your life. What that means is you're in a ship getting tossed at sea. Because there's a lack of faith. 
which means I'm not submitting to the wisdom that God's giving. Sounds pretty appropriate for Jonah there, doesn't it? But these guys decide at one point, they're like, okay, that's what God said. We're going to toss him overboard. And they do. And as soon as someone has faith and does what they're supposed to do, what happens? What happens? It's called peace. Peace comes into the situation. Does this remind you of anything, this part of the story? There's a moment where Jesus is on a boat and there's a bunch of disciples who are freaking out because the Sea of Galilee is raging all over the place. And Jesus is asleep in the boat, not because he's tired from running from his father, but because he's at rest in the arms of his father. And they come and shake him and they're like, Jesus, wake up, wake up. He's like, apparently, last time I read the story of Jonah, it was a lack of faith that caused the sea to rock and people to get freaked out in a boat. Peace. I trust my father. The whole sea goes to rest. And he says they don't have faith. Because the whole thing is, if we don't have faith, it means that what God has revealed, we're not submitting to, and therefore we're being tossed all about in our lives. We have knowledge of God, but we don't have submission to God, and we get all messed up. That's how that works, okay? All right, so uh, let's see, where are we? Um, And then the response to it, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They had exceeding fear beforehand, didn't they? When did they have exceeding fear earlier in the story? Verse 10 it said that they had exceeding, they were exceedingly afraid. And why was that? They were afraid because they were going to die. But now, they're not afraid because the waves are big. Well, I, why are they afraid now? Because there is no waves. They're actually afraid of the peace. Why are they afraid of the peace? The reason they're afraid of the peace is because there was power that could take craziness and put it to rest instantly. And their shift was that they were fearing their death. And now... They're fearing God. And the response to it is pretty incredible. It says, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. When they offer sacrifice and make vows, what do we call that? Worship. All right, here's the deal. Josh, two weeks ago, talked about personal worship in our lives. Last week, we talked about the fact that we believe one of the values in 2014 that we believe in is in worship workouts, discipline, worship in our personal lives. Some people feel, I'm not a good worshiper. I don't know how to get into that spot with God. I don't know how to do that. And this passage right here just stands right in our face and says that's a lie. You got a bunch of pagan sailors out on a boat who don't know Yahweh at all. And in one moment, they experience the power of God. And instantly, without Jonah telling them how to worship, because he's down in the sea, without any other Yahweh worshipers on the boat, all of a sudden, they know exactly how to worship. They get on their knees, they offer sacrifice to God, and they make vows to Him because we are born worshipers, and we know exactly how to worship God. And one day when Jesus is revealed, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And who's going to tell the knees to bow? Nobody. The name of Jesus is going to be revealed. Jesus is going to be revealed. An instant reaction because we're nature by nature people of worship. We're going to fall to our knees and we're going to worship God. We know how. There isn't a person in this room who doesn't know how to worship. We all know how to worship. The real question is whether in any given situation I'm seeing God and I'm experiencing God. Because if I'm knowing God and I'm experiencing him, my reaction is worship. It's just a matter of whether or not I'm seeing him. Okay, we're almost done to the end of the story here. Okay. 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I love it. I love that word appointed. Hey, fish, go get it done. You know, I don't know how that works. I really don't, but it works. Okay. Um, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. Of course, that's familiar to us too. And here we see the story of, re- of redemption beginning in Jonah's life. And then I'll just move in. I don't think we have it on here, but in chapter two, verse one, it says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. Okay. So, all right, here's the thing. I want to just break this down and give us a few principles and ask us a few questions and then close it out. Now that we've gotten through the story. First principle is this, is that every time God calls us, it's not just a call to get stuff done. It's a call to his presence. Okay. That's what God wants from us. We know this, right? We all know that what God wants more than anything else is us. He doesn't need us to get stuff done for him. He's not like, here, here's my wind-up toy, put you down, go get stuff done. It's not a robot, it's none of that. It's also not, here's a false picture that we have in our lives. We have this false picture that kills us. It hurts us so bad. This is the false picture. That God has this master plan that he wants to work out in the earth. And he's like, here's your job, here's your job, here's your job, here's your job. Now I'm going to step back here and I'm going to watch to see how all you guys do. And at the end of time, I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, good job, I really like you, you're a good son. Uh, you did pretty good too, you're a daughter who I'm really going to care about. You struggled, so I don't really like you that much. You know, you disappointed me. That's a picture we have of God and that is a false picture. That is a, that is a picture that comes from the enemy. Complete total denial of the character of God. Because here's God. I've adopted you as my children. I want to be with you. And this is a project for us to work on together. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you as you go into the project. The whole point of the calling is always that this is a project that we can work on together with God. We want to see God move. Then we got to step out in faith and experience the things that we don't see with our eyes. Because God is spirit. And if I want to see God, that means I have to deal with things that I can't see. Here's the problem. Today, when you eat lunch, in your head, you're going to know that God provided that lunch. But it's going to be really hard for us in our heart to understand how much that was God's gift to us because we can see it and we can touch it. But when I step out into the unknown and I watch God do things in ways that I couldn't see, now I get to see God do things that I couldn't understand. And it builds my faith and I become closer to God because I'm experiencing him. This is why he calls us to things that we can't make sense of in our own brains because he wants us to know him more. And people all the time ask, God, show yourself to me, reveal yourself. Or they want to get into in debate about if God can make sense of this, then I'll believe him. And God's saying that's irrational. I'm beyond logic and I'm beyond what can be seen. You have to trust me beyond what you can understand before you can experience me. Does that make sense? We can't experience God if he's bigger than what we know unless we step out beyond what we know. 
Okay, that's what it takes. And so uh, that's that's why when God, every time he puts a call on our life, it's bigger than we, what we can accomplish with our own might. And the whole point is that he's bringing us into his presence. Now, the problem is, is that we are self-important and we think that we know better than God. You know, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, we think we know better than God and we don't want to submit to what it is that God does because we have fear that God won't pull through or we like, this is going to be more fun than what God wants, you know, whatever. That's what we think. And so we go our own way in that thing. Now, what happens to a kid when mom and dad say, this is what I want for you. And it's not what the kid wants and the kid's not going to obey. What happens there? What's the next stage of that in the relationship? There's distance, right? There's distance between that person, the child, and the parent. Because the child knows what mom and dad wants, and they're, the, they're mom and dad, but I don't want to do that, so I kind of have to like hide a little bit. I can't be close to you because now I know I'm disappointing you and it's not what you want. And it puts distance in the relationship. And that's just naturally what happens when we don't follow the call. And if we don't follow the call that God has on our life, Whatever that is, and most of the time, that's about loving a person who we don't want to love. And if, if that's the situation that we're in, then when we distance ourselves from that, it puts distance in our relationship with God. Here's the thing. God is not just our counselor and just our wisdom bringer. He's also our father. And you can't separate the two. You can't say, God, I'm going to go to my prayer time tonight, and uh, I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm just going to say, God, here's the situations that I'm in. Please let me know what to do with this. And God gives us his word and gives advice and everything. And we say, thank you for that advice. That's not what I'm going to choose to do. <laughs> what that means is, is we're trying to use God as an advisor, but not submit to him as a father. You can't split up parts of the Trinity like that. Like Holy Spirit's the wisdom bringer. I'll listen to him, but I'm not going to submit to father. You can't do that. It's three in one, you know? And so when God gives us information, we have to submit to it. That's why faith without works is dead. That's why we're tossed at sea if we get the wisdom but don't have the faith to apply it. God's call to him, to whatever it is he's calling us to do, is always a call to his presence. And if I want to know God more and have the joy of his presence, great place to start is to say, what has he already asked me to do? And am I submitting to that? And if not, then I'm in insubmission to God and my relationship with him isn't going to feel right. And I wish that I could have more emotive experience with God. I wish that I could feel his support more. But it's not that he doesn't love me. He still does. I'm his adopted child. I'm just feeling the distance because I'm in rebellion. And so I'm feeling the distance. Okay? All right. Next principle is this, that we can never escape him, no matter how hard we try. Now, this is a no-brainer, right? That uh, we're like, of course, we can't get away from God. We look at Jonah and we're like, really? Like, you're going to try to run away from God. How's that working for you? You know, it just seems silly. And yet that's not that silly if you think about it in these terms. Well, first of all, when I was a kid, I used to get spanked. I don't know about you guys, but I would get worked, okay? And I deserved it almost every time. Not every time because my brother was really smart at figuring out how to get me smacked. Um, it wasn't my parents' fault. It was all my brother's fault. Um, and so, uh, but when I knew that I was about to get it and I knew I deserved it, you know what I did? That was my dad. <laughs> Run. 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 And I would run. Run. Like, ah! Run. Literally run from my parents. You know what? 
I knew as soon as I started running, there was nowhere to go. It's not like I was ever going to win this. I mean, I, I got to come back for dinner, I, even if it's three days from now. Eventually, I got to eat, and I don't have a job, you know? Like, it's sometime I got to get back home, and when I do, I'm going to catch one. Well, why do I run anyway? Because I'm freaked out, and I don't want to submit, and I don't want to confess, so I just take off. Does it have to be logical? No, it's not logical. The whole thing's illogical, but I still run, and this is what happens Every day in our lives all over the place. And we think it's silly that he would sail to Tarshish. But this is what we do all day, every day, when instead of being in the presence of God and being in an attitude of prayer and submitting to him, we're off doing our own thing and we're investing into whatever and never talking to God about it, just completely leaving God behind. It's because the God thing's uncomfortable for us and largely because we don't feel that close in the relationship because we haven't developed that and we have all sorts of relational baggage with God and that's all on us, not on him, and we haven't worked that out. And instead of actually engaging that we just run away from it and go into other stuff and of course god he loves us too much to let that just go so what does he do he sends storms and there are storms in our life and we experience these storms and along the way getting away from god by the way we have to pay tolls and we pay tolls we really do our kids pay tolls for us because we sacrifice them our pocketbooks pocketbooks, I don't have one of those, a wallet pays a toll, you know, my calendar pays the toll because I'm compensating for a lack of submission to God, and my life just gets tension and stress in it because I'm paying tolls for not living in the way that simply submits to God and, and the way I'm designed to work. It's like I'm, I'm functioning with a limp or something trying to accomplish because I'm not in submission to it, and it puts tension in my life, you know. And so then, as I'm running away from God, just like he hurled that wind at Jonah, God's like, this isn't going to go easy for you. Because I am a jealous God who wants connection with my kids. And one way or the other, that stuff that's inside of you, it's going to have to be healed and cleansed. Because I want you to have full life. So whatever it is that I'm facing right now, at some point, somewhere along the line, I got to come to terms with the fact that God is trying to speak to me through it. And it's me that he's trying to get a hold of, not everyone else around me. It's me. It's me he's trying to speak to. And so at that point, then, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they, that's when they start throwing cargo off and they start worshiping false gods and they start rowing on the oars. And that's the spot in my life where I pretty much, if I'm running from God and I hit that stuff in my life, that's where it's like, I got to pick up an extra shift at work. I got to, um, you know, figure out a way to cut the budget. I got to squeeze my calendar so we're all stressed out. I got to lubricate my life with all sorts of niceties so that I don't feel the pain and I can handle it. It's all those different things about stressing out my life even more and putting all sorts of junk in it. Instead of just repenting, instead of just confessing, I don't like the way you're doing this and I'm doing all this other stuff to try to compensate for the fact that I don't want to submit to you because I think I know better than you. And that's where Jonah finally gets once he gets called out. And he's like, you're just going to have to toss me overboard because I'm not in a good spot. <laughs> and because of that, you guys aren't in a good spot. And there's a real question for us around like, what, what are we putting too much effort into to try to compensate, to make our lives better when really we should just be submitting? You know, and we need to confess, I'm putting way too much into this stuff here. 
that I should let go of? You know, where is it that I'm trying to engage the false gods, the things that promise to help me out, but don't actually help me out? And I'm leaning into the wrong thing. Where is it where I'm trying to be smart and figure a situation out because I just have to figure this situation out when it might be that God's actually the one who I'm trying to figure out, you know, and I just got to submit and let him take control. And so those are those are questions for us that we have to face when it comes to to um, this story of Jonah. Now, here's the last thing. And this is super important. More important than how this applies to us and how Jonah translates into our lives is the picture it paints of God. Because the most important thing that Jonah needed to know was not what it is that he needed to do. What he needed to know more than anything else is who he could actually trust. He's running from the presence of God because he didn't trust how good God was. And all the time, even though we know God is good, we don't feel like God is good, or we have a hard time trusting it, and we we think, well, if I just submit to that, man, who knows how my life's going to go. And we're not trusting just how good God is and just how much he loves us and and has our best interests in mind. And here's the thing about God. It's so awesome. You know, um, what was Jonah's job? What What was his occupation? What did he do? He's a prophet. prophet. Now, what are prophets supposed to do? They're supposed to take the voice of the Lord and they're supposed to communicate that to other people. They're supposed to make known what it is that God's saying. Here's what happens. First of all, there's a bunch of pagans on a ship who repent and start to worship Yahweh instead of the pantheon. Okay, so you have conversions. You have people who completely shift the way they're thinking. And then the biggest prophecy of all, when you look at Matthew chapter 12, look at this. Matthew chapter 12, there's this awesome moment in verse 38. It says, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him. This is the answer, Jesus, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. That's that the people who say, oh, we would follow you if you made visible what's invisible. That's what they're saying. And, and they're like, Jesus is about to lock and load on them, okay? So, but he answered them, an evil an adulterous generation seeks for a sign. In other words, I don't have to prove myself to you. I'm your creator. I'm your God. If you're not submitting to me and not worshiping me, that's not my fault and my problem. That's yours. I can't make you trust me because I explain myself or show myself more. The only way you'll trust me is if you get your heart in the right place and that's on you. Okay, it's a little more than exactly what he said there, but I think that's what he's saying. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Okay, so a prophet who is being referred to by Jesus in the New Testament. This means that was a really, really good prophecy that's lasting that long and Jesus is referring to. Now, what prophecy is it that he's talking about? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Someone asked for wisdom, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. They're asking for a sign. They're asking for wisdom, and he's saying, you lack faith. But what's happening here is he refers back to the the prophecy of Jonah. And what's the prophecy that he just referred to? What is it? Somebody tell me. Help me. What is it? 
Three days, three nights, and a fish. Who chose for that to happen? God. Did Jonah do that? The greatest prophecy that ever happened from this prophet was something that he had nothing to do with except this. Rebellion. (laughs) When he rebelled against God, he made his greatest prophecy by being swallowed by a fish. Here's the point. The point is this. Is that God doesn't need us to get the job done. And the anointing that he has on your life and my life and the sovereignty of God, it's going to accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish whether or not we submit to it. But if we want to know God and walk with God, we have the ability to join him in that and to enjoy that and to experience him and to live the full life. And we don't need to feel all the weight and the pressure of I've got to do stuff right for God. He's got it covered. I don't have to do all that. What I do have to do is say, He wants me to be with him right now. And at some point, I got to stop kicking against it all and trying to control my life, and I got to let it go. Jonah had a problem. Here was his problem. He did not want to talk to Nineveh because Nineveh was the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were the worst people on earth, seriously. Like, they were brutal, vicious people who violated the nation of Israel in ways that we can't even describe in church. He had good reason to hate them. But he knew the character of God and the word of God was coming alive to him. And his heart and his mind started to sense what it is that God felt toward these people. And he did not want to submit to that because he didn't want to let go of his baggage. And somewhere right now in your life and in my life, we have baggage that is keeping us from fully submitting to what it is that God has for us in our relationships, in our integrity, in the things that he wants us to be honest about, in the things that he wants us to do. I'm afraid that he won't provide if I step out financially this way, or I'm afraid that if I step into this relationship that I'll just get crushed and and I'll be really hurt and I won't be able to handle it. Whatever it is, and I have baggage, just like Jonah, And God is saying this, I don't care if you are in the deepest abyss and so far away from me. At some point, if you will just pray and turn and give it over to me, I will find you and I will bring you home. And it might be in the belly of a fish and it might be a long journey and it might feel like death to self, but I will bring you home. I will bring you home. We are never too far for God to redeem our baggage and to bring us back into the abundant life that he has for us. Whatever I'm rowing against, time to put the oars down. Whatever I'm trying to figure out in my head, time to let it go. Whatever false medication I'm using, time to just put it away. And whatever baggage I have, I don't want to pay the toll anymore because the biggest toll is my relationship with God. And I want it in fullness. Putting it all away, I don't have to figure it out. I just have to submit and say, man, God, I don't understand this. I do not get why you're doing this or what you want. But I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm sorry that I've been running away. Take over. And he will. And he'll set us free. Let's pray.